0: Hey hackers, welcome to another episode of the Hacker Noon podcast. I'm really excited to launch a new series that we are running, Learning Crypto with Amy, where I ask all of the dumb questions to the crypto experts, because as the name suggests, I did not learn anything about crypto in 2017. So here we go. This HackerNoon episode is sponsored by Bybit, the cryptocurrency trading platform that takes buying, selling, trading, and earning crypto to the next level. So visit Bybit.com to learn more.
1: HackerNoon podcast.
0: So 10 months ago, I got super, super lucky. I started working at HackerNoon as an editor and mind you, Hacker Noon obviously has a lot of content on software development, blockchain, and cryptocurrency, and I considered myself lucky to be hired because I don't know anything about that. Instead, I had focused on the business tech aspect of things and cybersecurity and data integrity, but To me, still 10 months later, crypto is escaping my brain. It is confusing me. I don't understand. There's so many layers and aspects to it. And so I have decided, along with Utsav, who is the resident Hacker Noon blockchain editor, to start a series for the podcast on learning cryptocurrency. so everyone welcome to amy learns crypto presented by hacker noon and hosted by me amy tom in conjunction with utsav welcome
2: thank you amy and thank you for not using the word experts because we are all learning and it has been a fun journey And hopefully together, we will all learn something new about cryptocurrencies and blockchain as the world is.
0: Okay, that's great. Because um, I don't know anything, okay? Like we need to start from the very, very beginning. Like even pre-2017 in the whole cryptocurrency movement and era, we got to go even way before that. And I need to know why we even use money let's start from the very very beginning as what even is money
2: right so there are jokes on like twitter where how do you identify someone who creates crypto or buys bitcoin so the usual suspect thing is you ask them so what exactly is money they whip out their markers and a chalkboard and say, I'm so glad you asked. This is the (laughs) question that I prepared for. (laughs) Excellent. What exactly is money. So let's go back thousands of years, right? The dinosaurs had just gone away, maybe taken away by God if you are a creationist or via the asteroids if you believe the scientists. So what happened was when humans started to settle and they had these like settler uh, settlers, agriculturers, foragers or whatnot, instead of the hunter-gatherers. So when we started living in villages, we needed to exchange value. Now imagine, oh, I'm so sorry I can't see that Nicholas Cage poster behind you. So, <laughs> so imagine if I was like, hey, I really want that poster from you. Mm-hmm. And how do I get it from you? Imagine that there is no money. Money is basically how people exchange value. So. You would say, okay, I would sell that to you for, let's say, Y amounts of dollars because we have money now.
0: But Mm -hmm. thousands
2: of years ago, there used to be this requirement called a double coincidence of bonds. I needed to have something that you wanted for us to enter into a trade. Let's say you would say, hey, I like your design that your wife did. And Mm -hmm. if you could give that to me, I could give you that particular poster.
0: This is what is okay, called. A... Okay, so like, it's off. if you want my Nicolas Cage poster, you're going to have to give me five goats.
2: Yeah, exactly. I needed <laughs> to have five goats. And <laughs> if not, I would have to find somebody who had five goats, like goats, not ghosts, uh, <laughs>
0: Right. And then trade and hopefully... them and yeah. then trade me. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So that was the reason, like that was what was called the barter system. You could mm-hmm. barter, but they used, there used to be this requirement called a double co- coincidence of what.
0: Mm-hmm. But then and when the we start- perception of value is individual, right?
2: Yeah, beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder, is what people would have said about money back in the day, right? Okay. More egalitarian people, not yeah. So coming back, so now when people started to build their kingdoms, like we started as individual foragers and then we became colonies, kingdoms, or whatnot. And when these became large enough, they were like, let's issue our own coin. Just as these 2017 ICOs, let's issue our own coin. They issued their own coins. The problem was standardization. If you are based out of Canada or the Canadian settlers uh, community 2000 years ago, or like however uh, years ago, and I'm in India, 2000 years ago, Your gold coin would be very different from my gold coin. How do I know the purity of your gold coin? How do you know whether my gold coin is exactly what it's like? Because there is no standardization. There is no exchange Mm -hmm. of sorts. We Mm -hmm. work on trust, which is why traders had to travel. And which is why traders became the richest like classes back in the day. Because they traveled all over the world. They took valuable stuff from one place to the other colonized my entire country because of spices right (laughs) 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 Right. oh yeah
0: we're really going back in the day okay
2: yeah
0: (laughs) value of money let's go
2: so that's how valuable money became yeah and that's just like a part of the story so now when uh, people started to become more globalistic nations were like, let's stop colonizing and let's start to work in terms of trade. Let's call it economic colonization, as some people call it. So now when they had what is called paper money, which was invented in China 2000 years ago, they were like, why do you need to have gold coins? Because gold is scarce and you cannot like easily make, let's say 20 gram gold coins or 20 ounce gold coins Mm -hmm. every time it could be different some Uh parts get shaved off or whatnot. So they were like, I am the government. I will print a piece of paper and I will say the value of that paper is worth a hundred of whatever. This piece of paper, 50 of whatever. So now it became however powerful that particular country was, the value of their their currency became something like that Mm -hmm. relative to the other countries, which is why we have terms such as dollarization, Mm
0: -hmm. right?
2: Because, okay,
0: then why 2000 years ago, did all of the countries not print the currency and they all
2: were worth the same thing? So 2000 years ago, they did not have the printing press. It was invented in the 1500s by Gutenberg. And the most that everybody published was the Bible because it was the 1500s. Mm-hmm. nobody thought like like let's print money which they could have but they were like let's print the it's okay their choice so yeah <laughs> so which is why like when we started to print money we realized that we have to make it harder because if you print a note and i print a note and the government sends <laughs> a note now we have three pieces whose note reigns supreme so it has to be the government note so they make it very hard for people to make it uh, like they add the special inks or dyes or whatnot mm-hmm. to create it special signatures are practically put into that coins have a very funny thing so a coin at least in india let's give the example of a five rupee coin it costs your government 90 pesa which is like cents to your dollars so 90 pesa to create a 5-rupee coin and the rest is government's profit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: 4 rupees and 10 paisa. So every time a government makes a coin, it makes a profit. Mm-hmm. A 500, a 600% profit. And whenever oh. a, a government prints money, it's an infinite amount of profit because they used something that was valued at zero, a piece yeah. of paper. And now it is worth. At least in Zimbabwe, they printed a hundred trillion dollar note, or was it a one trillion dollar note? Like, <laughs> I imagine the kind of value that you create just because you are the government. So yeah. that is a very small history of money. Okay. In two thousand and eight, was when we heard about the housing crisis. A very mm-hmm. short take on the housing crisis, like at least according to the experts, and I'm neither, is that. Because the banks were gambling with our money, mm-hmm. they had been over leveraged. Like they used very big words like CDOs or leveraged positions, over leveraged positions or whatnot, which basically at its essence is the government was gambling with the money that we had deposited in the banks for safekeeping. Yes. And when everybody gambles, everybody loses. Everybody thought as long as the music keeps playing, as long as the next sucker keeps on investing money, the mm-hmm. markets would keep on rising. But when mm-hmm. that last sucker said no, it fell down like a house of cards, mm-hmm. to use the analogy. So in 2008, like, this crisis told people that the big banks, and then like the reason why this happened was that the government was, instead of penalizing these big banks, they were like, here, have a few more billion dollars a few more hundreds of millions of dollars so that you guys don't fail, which is covered very well in this movie called Too Big to Fail. Thank you for the money. Instead of using that money to pay back the people who lost their entire holdings or whatnot, I'm gonna give hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses to the executives who gambled with my money, <gasps> right? Yes, it was Barack Obama's government. And they were like, yes, that's exactly why you give, why we give you money for. Although if I were to split his, the Fed chair, at least at the US, was the guy who had been there since the Clinton days, Alan Greenspan and, and their like own, own ilk or whatnot. They okay. get these academicians to write all of these reports saying, yes, that was the best course of action. And they get millions of dollars for that. So there is mm-hmm. that vested interest, but I digress. So... Coming back, all of these like things boiled over because 2008 was when we had the internet. It wasn't like the 1970s oil shocks or the 1992 Gulf Wars where nobody mm-hmm. knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. It was 2008. Media had grown a lot. Everybody was an analyst as they are today. Today, I know about COVID. I'm an expert. About Afghanistan, <laughs> I'm an expert. <laughs> so
1: In 2008,
2: yeah. it was very similar right? So people were like, okay, this is bad. So one guy, no one knows what his name is, but he went by the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. He wrote this entire white paper, just eight pages long. People say it's very fun to read, very easy to read. No, it's not. It is highly technical. At least people need to have an above basic understanding of economics to understand what he meant. So what he was basically saying was, why do we even need the bags? We need the banks for just one reason and that is if i want to send you money i'm in india you are based out of canada the only role that a bank plays is of the of the intermediary Mm
1: -hmm. my
2: bank takes money from me sends it to your bank and then your bank takes the money from my bank and gives it to you yeah for this role banks used to get what is called a spread a spread is the difference between the interest rate of loaning money and the interest rate of borrowing money mm-hmm. so they were building off of that and then because banks were serving as what is called a place where capital used to be parked, some very smart people said why not gamble with that money and they started gambling with our money and this is why like where we are so what he built was a technological solution where the community as a whole or at least People who chose to put in the effort, let's use mm-hmm. the word effort now, instead of more technical words, like proof of work or like whatever, people who were willing to put in the effort and people who were willing to spend something to, let's say, make sure that when I send like money to you, or let's say when I transfer value to you, mm-hmm. that is taken care of in a manner which cannot be tampered with. What yes. do banks do is that they say, okay, this is my seal of approval. I have yes. a huge section of people who are experts and we would take care of the accounting for you. Yep. Blockchain, Bitcoin, based a technological solution for that accounting. Banks might make mistakes. Banks make zero error mistakes all the time. There are attacks called salami slicing. So basically whenever the interest rate is in the thousandths of a dollar or millions of a dollar, Mm -hmm. people would take that. So when you collect a lot of that, you become a millionaire in a few weeks or so. Planks make that mistake all the time. At least we're making that mistake.
0: Like the office space.
2: Like the office space. Exactly. Like Mm -hmm. the office space. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's a scam.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. So blockchains do not make that mistake. Mm. But blockchains, are pieces of code don't have a conscience. People, pieces of code don't have a soul. It would do what it has been coded to do. Third-party actors can tamper with the code, but at the end of the day, it is a piece of code. Who writes the code? So the code is like maintained by a group of people. It's called the... Bitcoin core software. It's freely available. It it is open source. And there are thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people simultaneously working on improving that code, trying to make it better, just like HackerNoon's own GitHub account. Like, imagine, I'll take the example of Moonies, right? Uh, So, whenever there is a change that needs to be made to the documentation, what does somebody do? They could either message Tom. Or, what they could do is go to HackerNose GitHub and submit what is called a pull request or a push request. I am not a programmer, so I might be getting these words wrong, but it is one of these two. So, basically, whenever somebody finds a problem or when somebody wants to, let's say, suggest a change to a piece of code, they submit that code to the actual code that exists. And Mm -hmm. if it gets accepted by the community and there is this entire voting over there, Mm. very very democratic in the Mm -hmm. sense how we see it from thousands of miles away. I don't know what might be happening inside, but at least from thousands of miles away, it looks very democratic. Every new piece of things that get added to the code, to the piece of software needs to be voted upon and is highly contested by the people.
1: Mm -hmm. There have
2: been cases where some people say, I want to do X. Some say, I want to do Y. That is called a fork. Mm
1: -hmm. So some
2: people say, I'm going to build my own blockchain. And if you follow Futurama with cocaine and like hookers, but I digress. So Mm -hmm. when that fork happens, it's like when two different systems emerge.
0: Okay. Okay. So go, I want to go back to the original question, which is what even is money? And before we get into too much about Bitcoin, because we're going to do that later on, I want to know, like, how do, the, how do we determine the value of money, of whatever the money is? Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. Interesting. So earlier, I, according to some, let's say, tinfoil hat people, it used to be backed by gold. At least up till the 70s, up as per the Bretton Woods Agreement, or like up until the Bretton Woods Agreement, which was done by the WTOs of the world, like UN bodies, not exactly UN body, but called a specialized agency of the UN. So what they said was, however much gold you have, you could print as many notes, and we would link a lot of that to the US dollar. So now the demand for the US dollar went through the roof. Mm-hmm. There was And I guess there still is a lot more U.S. dollar notes outside of U.S. than in the U.S. Yes. A lot of them are in Chinese vaults right now, or at least via Chinese vaults into the African markets. But that was the reason, or that was how they were valuing their own particular currencies. Somewhere down the the line. The
0: amount of gold that they had at the time whenever they decided. So that's why America became like a big country because at the
2: time they had the most gold is that what you're saying america had a geopolitical advantage so like they don't have enemies on their border right Mm. on their top is canada they apologize for everything on their south is mexico right they like mexico used to be huge there were wars in between the mexico and the us in the 1800s but anyways it has settled disputes with all of its neighbors and it's very separated from the rest of the world Mm -hmm. the pacific ocean on one side and the atlantic ocean on the other Mm -hmm. right some of the largest oceans of the world so geostrategically they are very well located when world war Mm -hmm. one happened nobody attacked america they were busy fighting amongst themselves Mm -hmm. at the stag end of the of the war woodrow wilson the u.s president Mm -hmm. was like hey guys could you stop fighting and they were like nah and then he was like, okay, I'm going to send money and bomb all of you because they had nothing to do. They did not have money. They were founded on very strong democratic principles. You have to mm-hmm. give the Americans that. And that is why they became very powerful at the end of World War I. Before that, the superpowers were England and France. Mm. They were gone. By World War II, the hegemony of like, Europe had practically ended. The U.S. Mm. had to bail them out under the Marshall Plan. But so yeah, that was into like why the U.S. became powerful, ah. and that was a reason why everybody was like, okay, have a certain amount of gold in our vaults, mm-hmm. and the value of that gold. Because now, how do you value gold? That is that question also. Like, gold is something like whose value does not come printed on top of the gold nugget.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: you need to value it, and so they basically tagged it to the U.S. dollar. But now the demand for the dollar started to outstrip the supply. And people were like, okay, we are going to have what is called a, a free float. The earlier thing was what is called a managed float, which is basically I will peg my currency to yours. Even ask off like one US dollar is equal to 3.5 or 3.7 Saudi riyals. So Saudi Arabia's currency is oh. a fixed, a, a fixed oh. like peg to that of the US still is.
0: Forever? there's no
2: exchange rate the exchange rate is 3.5 or 3.7 like you google it like it would say the same today tomorrow okay month. okay
0: right
2: <clears throat> yeah so that is what is called a a fixed exchange rate mm-hmm. what we have in the rest of the world like at yeah. least between free the free flow and the yeah that is what is called a a free float so
0: float.
2: that is how this yeah Okay. So that is how exchange rates are determined, and which is why when Zimbabwe starts to fall, they cannot say that my currency is worth 500 US dollars. It has to be according to the demand within the market itself.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm like
0: interesting okay so okay I really feel like I have a better picture of the political standpoints and like the economic standpoints of the world why money is the way that it is today why there's some rich countries why there's some poor countries okay piecing all the pieces together this has been an excellent start to Amy Learns crypto. I have already learned so much and next time we're gonna get more into blockchain bitcoin ethereum all of the things that I don't really understand and I'm just pretending so amazing thank you very much it's up i had the best time today i'm so excited to learn the rest of crypto i'm just gonna be all of it it's gonna all be in my brain and it's gonna be amazing you know one thing i will say is at the end of this series my personal goal is to invest in some crypto okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i don't have a wallet i don't have anything and we're gonna go through all of it and i am very excited so every all of the other crypto little babies out there please join me we're gonna get through this together it's okay i'll hold your hand and be here for you i'm in the same boat i don't get it either it's gonna be fine
1: <laughs> <I'm> So so <laughs> weird. yeah
0: Perfect. Thank you very much. This episode, of course, was hosted by me, Amy Tom, produced by Hacker Noon. And I'll see you on the internet. Stay weird. Bye bye.
2: Stay weird, everybody. Bye.
1: Hacker Podcast.